this, as you know, uh, is Easter Sunday, and uh, we've had a lot of people working really hard. Our initial setup teams that always come in every week, they've been here since six already, the tech team, the band, and uh, so they're about four and a half hours into it. We still have two more services to go, so if you see any of them, in fact, let's give them a hand. They've been working really, really hard. I'm very excited about this talk, and I think it's going to make sense to us all. In fact, you know what my prayer has been? My prayer has been that for many of us that are in this room today, at some point during this time that we're going to have together, which is about 33 more minutes, because I know, I always ask the guy to guys, give me a countdown clock to keep me on track, and so I know how long we're going to be here, and there's about 33 minutes between now and the concluding prayer of this service. And my prayer has been all week long that, uh, and really every week, is that at some point during these next few minutes that we have together, something will click in your mind, in your heart, and you'll say, wow, I've never really thought about it. I've never really considered that. I've never really thought that all the way through. Now, there is, as you know, no celebration of Easter without the resurrection. And there is no resurrection without Jesus. And furthermore, I mean, if you want to just talk it all the way out, there is no Christianity without a resurrected Jesus. For Christianity, everything rides on the resurrection. Let me just put it this way. If there is no res resurrection, then you and I are wasting our time. We can just go home right now because this would just be wasted time. We could get an early jump on lunch. Without it, Jesus, without Easter, I mean, when you really think about it, without Easter, without the resurrection, uh, Jesus was simply another great teacher. If there is no resurrection, if Jesus really did not come back to life, all we can credit him as being is a good and moral leader, another influential mentor and advisor. But on the other hand, but on the other hand, if a person, as Jesus did, predicts his death, which Jesus did, and then was crucified, and then did what he said all along he was going to do. After three days, he was going to come back to life. If, if, if a person does that, predicts their death, and is crucified, comes back to life after three days of being in a tomb, then I want to just say that's a person that you, I, you and I ought to listen to. That is a person that you and I ought to follow. And people have been following Jesus for a long, long time. People have been following Jesus. For the last 2,000 years, scores of people have followed Jesus. Now, in 33 AD, 33 AD, uh, when Jesus was still walking around on this planet, just prior to him going to the cross, there were about 120 followers. At the time that Jesus was crucified, he had about 120 followers. There are more than double that right here in this room. So you think about that. About 120 followers. Jesus only started with 12. And those of you that have read the Gospels, you've read the historical account of Jesus, you know that he started out with 12. And then there were 120. This is when he passed. This is when he was crucified uh, 2,000 years ago. Today, today, 2,000 years later, Jesus has almost two point or somewhere thereabouts 2.3 billion followers scattered around the world. 2.3 billion. Think about that. That's like taking all of Europe, the population of all of Europe, all of China, and all of the United States, putting that together. Just think about how large. 2.3 billion people who believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. 2.3 billion people who believes that he died for their sins and that he rose from the dead on Easter. 2.3 billion people. 
that's just those that are alive today, not counting those that have already lived and died, who have said, you know what? I want to live for Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a Christian. And the resurrection, friend, changed everything. It changed everything. And if there is no resurrection, we are merely wasting time. But I believe to the core of my being that there was, in fact, a resurrection. And if there was, and I believe that there was, it is the single most important event in all of history. And some of you learned that way back in school. And, and some of you, when I say that, that the resurrection is the single most important event in all of history, some of you hear that. When you hear that, this is what you think. Yeah, Jeff, you say that because that's what preachers are supposed to say, especially at Easter. But the reality is, the reality is, it is the most important event in history. In fact, the resurrection, and a lot of you study this in school, actually split history. It divided history in this way, B.C., and you studied that in school, B.C. And, and A.D., even your birthday. You probably never thought of it quite this way. Even your birthday is dated in relationship to the resurrection. Have you ever thought about that? Your birthday, every time you celebrate your birthday, it is dated in relationship to the resurrection. And I'll give you an example. Take some, and I'll just use me. Take somebody like me who was born in 1983. Tough crowd, tough crowd this here today. All right, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't 1983. All right, sticklers for details. All right, 19, but let's assume. Well, many of you probably were born in 1983. Then if you were born, for example, 1983, your birthday is dated in relationship to the resurrection, meaning that you were born 1,983 years after the resurrection. And this morning, I want to talk to you uh, really around that idea. More specifically, not just the resurrection, but I want to quickly give you a few of what are many of the benefits of following Jesus. Because some of you are followers of Jesus, and some of you have been thinking about following Jesus, and some of you are like, you're just in the last few months or years just sort of warming up to the idea, what would it be like to be a Christian? Why would I want to become a Christian? Do I even want to bother with this? And you may be a person that said, you know what? When I left church a long, long time ago, I determined then I was never going back that I was done with church. But you know what I found? Because I have been around since before 1983, is that a lot of people, even though they left church a long time ago, a lot of people who uh, said they'd never go back, a lot of people who said, well, you know what? I went to church because my mom or dad or both made me go to church. There's something about Jesus that is still fascinating to them. I run into this all the time. And so, in the time that we have remaining, I want to give you four. You've got a handout the guys probably gave you when you came in, and uh, I won't be able to get all six. You can just tuck that away, and you can look at it later. It will have the scriptures. If you want to follow along, of course you can, but I'm not going to get to all six. I'll probably deal with uh, probably four. I hope to have time to deal with four, but you can have that. You can follow along if you want. You can take it with you and look up the scriptures later. But I want to give you four benefits of following Jesus or being a Christian or becoming a Christian. Uh, benefit number one, be sure you get it down. Uh, you know, write it down somewhere, uh, notepad, your uh, iPad, your phone. Number one, I don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore. That is a benefit of following, a Jesus, uh, following Jesus. That is a benefit of being a Christian is that you and I don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore. You see, many people go through uh, their entire life facing this tremendous, uh, feeling this tremendous weight of guilt and shame and regret. 
I want you to consider this for just a moment. Let's say, for example, when you came in the doors there and I see some of you holding those, let's say in addition to that handout that you've got in your hand right there that uh, somebody also gave to us, not only the handout, but they gave us a blank piece of paper. And you're like, well, that's sort of strange. What are we going to do with the blank sheet of paper? Now, we're not going to do this. We're obviously not going to do this, but let's use our creative imagination for just a moment. Let's say in addition to that handout that you had, you had a blank sheet of paper. Now at this point, which of course I'm not going to do this, I were to say to you, here's what I want you to do with that sheet of paper. I want you to take your pen. I want you to take your permanent marker, your crayon, whatever it is you have in your hand. And I want you to write down on that paper for your eyes only, every regret that you have from your life. And then I say, oh, hey, don't stop there. While we're busy writing, because all of us would be uh, writing, uh, I'd say, all right, let's, all right, you know, time out. Let's move on to another column. Write down on that sheet of paper for your eyes only, everything that you're guilty of. And some of you say, you're you know, like my eyes only, my eyes only, because some of you are saying what I'm writing down, I, I wouldn't want my mom, my dad, my spouse, I wouldn't even want the police to see this. <laughs> and that's all right, all right, all right, you've been writing a while, let's stop. Write down now the things that still to this day you feel some sense of shame over. You know what I know about that exercise? And again, we're not going to do it, but just using our creative imagination. I, I can't speak for you, but I know for me, I'd, I'd be filling up that page. I'd, things, that I've, things that I've done wrong, things that I'm guilty of, things that I feel regret over, things that I feel a sense of shame. I mean, I would just fill up that sheet of paper. Most of us would quickly do that because all of us have made mistakes. All of us have blown it. All of us. I mean, if you were writing those things down, you'd be like, man, I don't want anybody to ever see that. I would cringe. Some of you are thinking, how many of you are glad when uh, you came to church today at no point in the service are we going to put up on this huge screen your personal regrets and shame and guilt? How many of you? I'm glad I'd, I'd have you start putting mine up. I've got to leave. I'll leave the service to the rest of you. How many of you feel that way too? Just wave at me like this. And why do we feel that way? Because we've all made mistakes. We've all sinned, according to what Paul said to some believers living in a place called Rome. We all sin, fall short of the glory of God. There's a guy, this name, uh, the first name won't mean much to you, but certainly the person that he created in his writings, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I read this in a book uh, over a decade ago. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was the creator of Master Detective, and here's the name that you will recognize, Sherlock Holmes. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a great practical joker. In one of his more fiendish pranks, he sent an identical telegram to 12 of his friends. The telegrams were anonymous, no name attached, and they all said, the same thing, and I quote, this is what he sent, anonymous telegrams as a prank to 12 of his friends, and this is what it says, all, quote, all has been discovered, flee at once. <laughs> what is interesting is that within 24 hours, all 12 men that he sent it to had fled the country. Yeah, guilt, shame, regrets, things, and they're like, oh, now we've been discovered. Numerous experts have also concluded that guilt is the number one killer. A lot of experts have reached that conclusion. Surpassing what they say, cancer, heart failure, accidents, and addictions. The reason why they say this is because guilt can be a major contributor to these problems. Now, did you know 
Did you know? And here's a wonderful benefit about following Jesus. Here's a wonderful benefit of being or becoming a Christian. And that is God never intended that we would have to go through this life weighted down by guilt and shame and regrets. And that's exactly the reason why God sent Jesus into this world to die on the cross, to pay for our sins and to offer us the free gift of forgiveness and salvation. He was nailed, when you think about it, Jesus was nailed to the cross so that you and I, because of our guilt, shame, and regret, would stop nailing ourselves to the cross. There's an interesting uh, verse that is in the Bible, and perhaps you've seen it, but not thought about it for some time. Um, Look at this verse right up here on the screen. This is Paul. He's a great church leader writing to some believers, living in a place called Ephesus. And this, because God doesn't want us to be weighted down, guilt, shame, regret, remorse, this is what he wants us to experience instead. In Christ, this is what Paul says, in Christ we are set, what's this first word? Say it with me. Free by the blood of his death. And so we have, here's another word, forgiveness of sins. How rich is God's grace? So it's like God is saying, the reason I sent Jesus into the world so that he would go to the cross, so that he would pay the penalty of sin, be resurrected from the dead. And God says, this is what I want your life to be like. I don't want your life to be weighted down by guilt and shame and regret. Instead, I want you, 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 you to experience freedom and forgiveness. And and that is a benefit of being a Christian. Now, I've got to ask a question before we move on to the second benefit, and it's sort of rhetorical in this nature. And you've probably thought about something uh, around this idea before. Who is it, because we have a lot come to mind in this regard, who is it that actually is responsible for Jesus being put on the cross? Who's responsible? And I know what our typical responses are, yours are, mine mine are. We start saying, all right, there's a lot of players in that whole whole, uh, crucifixion, and, and so... Uh, it would have to be, in a sense, Pilate. And some of you are saying, well, I remember that story in Pilate, and he really didn't want to crucify Jesus because he knew that a bunch of religious people were mad, jealous about Jesus. They, you know, he knew what was going down. In fact, you know, if you've ever read what happened, Pilate's own wife has a dream and comes to him and says, listen, don't have anything to do with this man, Jesus, in terms of, you know, his punishment, his crucifixion. You just need to be free. Wash your hands of that. And, uh, you know, because I was warned in a dream. And yet Pilate eventually gave in to the pressure. He washed his hands symbolically. I don't have, but he turned them over. And so a lot of people would say, well, it was Pilate. Pilate didn't have to. He could have turned over Barabbas instead, who was really a criminal. Jesus had committed no crimes, no wrong. He could have. So it was Pilate. But it really wasn't Pilate. Certainly he was a player in it, but it wasn't Pilate. And some of you say, oh, 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 I see where you're going with this. You want to go pre-Pilate. You want to go back to Judas Iscariot, one of the original 12 who became a traitor, who uh, traded Jesus, uh, you know, betrayed him for some money and went and said, hey, I'll turn him over to you. I'll show you who he is. I'll lead you right to him. You give me some money. He's going to be yours. It's Judas Iscariot who later, by the way, felt such shame and regret because he knew Jesus was an innocent man that he went out and he committed suicide. So Judas is scary. That's got to be it. No, he was a player, but it wasn't really Judas. You say, all right, all right, all right. I got you. So you're talking about the Roman soldiers because look at what they did to Jesus. They, they were the ones that beat him. They were the ones that flogged him. And that's a gruesome experience that a person would go through in that day. And, and they were the ones who, who would uh, blindfold him and would just repeatedly punch him in the face and say, if you're the Messiah, if you're the son of God, tell us who just punched you, who just slapped you, who just spit upon you, who just hit you over the head, who took the crown of thorns, put it on his head. Surely it was them. Surely it was them. Ran this 
sword into his side. Surely it was the Roman soldiers. Surely it's the guys who, think about this, it was commonplace that many men would wear a beard in uh, Middle Eastern culture. And so, you know, it says, you read this in the Bible, I don't know if you've skipped over this, that they literally would pluck his beard out of his face. Could you imagine the pain of just that alone, not counting all the others? So it was the Roman soldiers. Yeah, they had something to do with it. They were players in it. But the two answers that I'm about to give you as why Jesus was crucified, who, who, who was it that made Jesus go through crucifixion? The answer to that may surprise you. It was actually, here's the first answer, God. God. God was responsible. I, I'm not going to put this verse on the screen. You can look at it later. In fact, it's on that little note, note page that you have. But this is out of Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm picking up at verse 6. I'll just read a portion of it. We all, us, like sheep, have gone astray, meaning we've just gone a lot of directions, taken a lot of paths away from God. Each of us has turned to his own way, not God's way, our way. I've got to do it my way, not God's way. And then this is what, this is what it says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin, the guilt of all of us. So who is it? Well, yeah, Judas had something to do with it. Obviously, Pilate had something to do with the Roman soldiers. But actually, God did. He had to. He had to because it was God's plan to save us. And somebody had to pay the price of our guilt and shame and regret and sin. Now, the second answer to that question, the question, who put Jesus on the cross? This one, you and I may not like, but it does not nullify the reality of it. The second person or people who is responsible for it is, is you and me. We did. We did. You and I are responsible. When you're saying, all right, not following, not following, time out, time out. You lost me now. I was with you up until now. Let's go back to Paul a moment because I want you to see what Paul says. Different group of believers, some, some Christ followers living in Rome. But look at what he says, and you'll see what we're talking about. He, he being Jesus, was handed over to die, his crucifixion, and he tells us why. Because of what are these two words? Our sins. Our sins. That's why. God put Jesus on the cross because he knew that that was the only way that our sin could be paid for. And we were responsible because it was our sins that sent him there. And he was raised to life to make us. I like this part, to make us right with God. That's what Easter is all about, to make us. That's what the resurrection is all about, to make us right with God. So what is the benefit of following Jesus, of being or becoming a Christian? First one is I don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore. Secondly, I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear death. Now, I don't know if you've ever struggled with that. I don't know if you're struggling that, uh, with that right now. I struggle with that. And looking back, I'm like, where, how did I even get there? But uh, when I was a teenager, there was a period of time for about a year, year and a half or so that I just had this enormous fear of dying. To the, I was just like convinced myself that I was going to die. I didn't know what I was going to die of. I just knew I was going to die. It's uh, ludicrous looking back because I was young and uh, playing sports. I've been playing sports my whole life. I was playing sports there. But I just had this notion in my mind that I was going to die. And looking back, and I'm not trying to make it sound mystical or weird, but uh, looking back, I think I understand what was going on now. I was a new Christian. I wanted to follow Jesus. I was giving up some old patterns that I was ashamed of and had regrets about and was guilty of. And so I was becoming a Christian. I was a new Christian. There's a lot I didn't understand about God. 
And that's why I hope a lot of you will come back, all of you really. And next week we begin this series about meet God. And a lot of people have ideas and thoughts about God. And some of thoughts and ideas about God are so far. And I'd be like, if God was really like that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to follow God either. But we're going to see God for who he really is. So I hope you'll come back for that. But for me, I'm a new Christian. A lot I don't understand. And so I think it was the enemy because I want, you know, I was so glad that I was a Christian. I was so glad that I was a follower of Jesus. And my life Life was going in the right direction for the first time in a long, long time. I was raised in church, got away from church, didn't want to have anything to do with church. Now I'm back in church. I'm a Christian. And it's like the enemy's got to find something to mess with me about because I've broken off some of the things that were so clinging to my life. And it's like, all right, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to sort of emotionally paralyze you with this fear of death. And I struggle with that for a good while. And I'm like, what's going on? And uh, I want to enjoy my life. I want to enjoy what it means as a Christian. And then one day, and I'll never forget this, although it's been a long time, a long time. I was not born in 1983. Okay, yeah, yeah. So a long, and I just had this thought one day. It's just, you know, I'm just, I'm by myself. I know that God's part of, maybe God was whispering this to me. In fact, looking back, I'm quite sure that he was. I just had this sudden thought. I'm like, all right, Jeff. You've got this fear you're going to die. What's the worst thing that's going to happen if, if you die? I'm just having this. You ever talk to yourself? You answer yourself? All right, don't do that too much or I'll, <laughs> I'll have to refer you out. Um, but I just had this thought, what's the worst thing that can happen if I die? And then I just sort of answered myself. I go to heaven. That's the worst if that's the worst thing that can happen to me if I die, how many of you know that's not too bad? That's a good thing. But see, a lot of people who would have that thought, they'd be like, oh, okay, uh, you know, what's the worst? Well, I don't know because I'm not a Christian and I'm not a follower of Jesus. Did you know that the number one fear that most people have is the fear of death? The fear of death? You know, and this is just for fun's sake, and it's not number one by any stretch of the imagination, but it's pretty high on the list. People who have studied phobias and stuff, fear, fear of death is the number one fear that most people have. Here's another big fear, the fear of public speaking. Do you know that there are some people that would rather die than have to get up and give a speech in public? <laughs> the fear of death is tethered to questions like this. Is this it? Is this all? What's going to happen next? When I die, when I close my eyes, you know, is it like back to dust? As some people have told me I was, and this professor I had back in school, and he just said, I'll just go back to dust. There's no afterlife. There's no eternity. If that's true, or is there an eternity? Is there an afterlife? And if so, what is waiting for me? See, one of the amazing accomplishments concerning Jesus' resurrection, I love this, is that Jesus conquered death. Jesus overcame death. And he gives a promise, not only am I going to be resurrected, but I am going to resurrect you at a, at a point in the future. His closest followers knew this. They begin to spread his gospel. And gospel is a word basically that means good news. They begin to take the good news of Jesus and they took it out now for the first time in their life after the resurrection with boldness and courage. Now they were not afraid of being rejected. They were not even afraid of being persecuted. They were not even afraid of death. They knew that Jesus' resurrection was factual. It was a total reality. And they're like, hey, you know what? If I have to go to the grave for it, so be it, because I know where I'm going to end up when I die. Now, 
They were convinced that the resurrection was factual, that it was a total reality. Uh, but how can you and I know this for sure? Because, you know, you went off to, some of you went off to college and you're like, uh, hey, I went off, you know, I grew up in church and told, you know, they're having hell and went off. And then I sat through some classes and they're like, no, that's just in the book, the Bible, you know, it's just contradictions and that, you know, it's just not. And so, you, and, and so maybe you're at a point now where you're like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, the resurrection, well, I want to show you a couple of verses up here on the screen. I want you to look at this uh, because I think you and I can know for certain because there are many historians, and some of you are saying, yeah, Christians historians. No, non-Christian historians that taught specifically about the resurrection of Jesus had nothing to do with Jesus or not even followers of Jesus. Now, look at this. This is Second Peter. This is one of the other early followers. Uh, this is Peter. He said, when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were not just telling you smart stories that someone invented. We were, what's this word right here? We were what? Eyewitnesses. We've seen this. We've seen it for ourselves. In fact, later, Paul's talking to a group of believers living in Corinth, and he says, listen, a lot of these people that have seen Jesus live walking the earth, they're alive. You can go to them. You can talk to them right now, and they will tell you they've seen. But look at this next verse, Acts 1-3. Look at what it says. Acts 1-3. After his suffering, Jesus, he, Jesus, showed himself to these men and gave, but Jesus revealed himself to women as well. You read that in the Gospels. And gave, what are these three words? Many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period. Now, look at this. A lot of you have read the Bible through. You've read the Gospels maybe more than once, and you've never seen this before. He appeared to them. This is after post-resurrection over a period of how many days? 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. It wasn't like Jesus said, hey, I'm resurrected from the dead. I was in the tomb for three days and I'm going to come out, you know, just equal time. And so I'm going to appear for three days. I'm going to make a guest appearance, 24 hours, going back to heaven from, no, for 40 days, Jesus walked the earth and many, 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 many. And I could take you so many scriptures if I had time where many people became, as Peter said, eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, you got to determine what you're going to believe. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. Uh, I was coming back. Some of you were on this particular trip. It's been several years ago. We'd been on a missions trip, third world country. Can't even remember the country now. Uh, we had landed in Miami. We were at the Miami airport. And uh, a lot of the people were getting, uh, you know, where they needed to go for the next leg of the journey. And we had some people that were clearing customs because we were coming back. And somebody had been held up. Probably one of you criminals who were with me on that trip held up in customs. And I was just waiting. It's like, do we sit in the bus? Do we wait? How long are they going to be? So I'm just standing in a pretty isolated part of the airport watching the customs exit door. And as I'm standing there, now let me stop there, stop there and tell you because this fits into the story. Please do not hold this against me, especially since it's Easter, because I know that this place is filled with gators and Seminoles and Royal Knights and bulls and, you know, all. I, I realize that. But growing up in the suburbs of Atlanta, forgive me, I was raised as a Georgia Bulldog fan. So as a Georgia Bulldog fan, like the greatest Bulldog of all, if you know, is Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker, Herschel number 34, Herschel Walker. So I'm standing in my, and I've gone from being patient to impatient, and I'm looking at the door, and I'm just trying to pass time, and I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, and uh, I just look this direction, and as I turn my head, I can remember this, and I turn my head and look to the left, 
And of all people walking right in my direction is Herschel Walker in the Miami airport. Now, how many of you have ever been so surprised by something? You said something, but you didn't know what you were going to say until you said it. And when you heard it, it was the first time you heard it. And so I didn't. And I look up and I said, Herschel Walker. Every bulldog loves Herschel Walker. And he just looked at me and smiled and nodded. I didn't have a pen. I didn't even have a selfie. You know, I didn't have any. I'm just so Herschel Walker. Ever. And, and then, so he walks on the person clears custom. I go back. I get on the bus. Here I am, this bulldog. I get on the bus. It's packed out with all of our people. I said, you'll never believe who I just saw in the airport. Herschel Walker. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't you think people ought to believe their pastor? So I had some convincing to do. Yeah, you just want to see Herschel Walker, and so, yeah. But how many of you know, if 20 people had got on the bus behind me and said, hey, we saw him too, there would be other eyewitnesses. How many of you know, they'd say, hey, that bulldog did see Herschel Walker after all. There were many, many people that saw it. 40 days. I don't know if you had ever uh, skimmed over that when you were reading before, before, but 40 days, Jesus spirit. His resurrection was factual. Christianity has spread from 12 followers to 120 followers to 2.3 billion followers because these early believers were not afraid to die for something that they believed to be true, and that is the resurrection. Here's a third benefit of following Jesus. I need to hurry. I am unconditionally loved by God. Now, everybody is loved by God, but you don't really get that until you start following Jesus, how important that is to you are a Christian and you become a Christian. See, the cross and the resurrection prove the love of God, and that love, unlike human love, is totally unconditional. Unconditional, and we know that. I don't have time to get into it, but, you know, so much of our human love is conditional. All right, you love me? Good. I'm going to love you back. Hey, you do this for me? I'm going to love you. You don't do that? I'm not. And so our human love is all skewed and all messed up. Uh, God's love for us is unconditional, and God loves every one of us. And that's absolutely not based upon anything that you and I could do. See, God does I want you to get this now. God doesn't love you because of who you are, because of what you've done. God's love for you is not based on who you are. God's love for you is based on who he, he is. And there's nothing that you could ever do in your life that would make God love you anymore than he already loves you right at this moment. And there's nothing you could do that would make God, you could show God that sheet of paper. Look at all these guilts, regrets, shame that I have. Here, God, look at it, look at it. You already see it in here. And God says, I still love you. I still love you. I've got three grandbabies. That's amazing, isn't it? Born in 1983. <laughs> Had three grandbabies. Oh, I love them. I love them. I love them. Five, three, one and a half. Get pictures, videos all the time. So I've got this little game I do with them. I'll say, they call me Papa. I'm like, do you know how much your Papa loves you? And they know the trail, but the girls now, because they're older, they like to aggravate me. They're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, this much. I'll say, no, not that much this much. How much does your papa love you? And they'll say, this much. I'll say, that's right. Don't ever forget that. You know how much Jesus loves you? Think of the cross. Jesus loves you this much. Total, unconditional kind of love. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but one of the reasons that Christianity has grown from that 12 to that 120 to that 2.3 billion over the last 2,000 years is because of the message of Christianity. See, 
what is distinct about Christianity is its leader rose from the dead. I mentioned to you earlier, if a guy says, hey, I'm going to die, here's how I'm going to die, I'm going to be in the grave, three days, coming after, after two, you listen to the guy that comes back. Hey, you're on good, safe ground if you listen to the guy that came back from the dead. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And Jesus came back from the dead. And his message, see a lot of religions, and this also sets Christianity apart. See a lot of religions in the world today are based on, it's a religion, it's a message of hate. Or it's a message of anger. Or it's a message of fear. Or it's a message of rules. And the message of Christianity is not any of those things. The message of Christianity, that's why there's 2.3 billion believers today, is the message of Christianity, it is not hate, it is not anger, it is not fear, it is not rules. The message of Christianity is a message of love. A message of love. A love that God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to show us how much he loves us. When you were growing up in church, and some of you did, and even if you've been away from church quite some time, and somebody come back to you, even though maybe you've not been around church and not picked up a Bible in a long time, they'd say, hey, what's the most famous verse in all of the Bible? And you might would say John 3, 16. Guys are going to put it on the screen. They're going to add verse 17 to it. Read these first six words with me, everybody. For God so loved the world. How much did he love the world? He loved the world this much that he gave Jesus, his one and only son. Whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. See, that's where a lot of people are messed up. That's why you need to be here the next four weeks when we talk about meeting the real Jesus. A lot of people think, oh yeah, Jesus is all about condemnation. Christianity is all about, no. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. Read these five words with me. Why did God send Jesus? But to save the world through him. It's a message of love. God so loved the world. It's not a message of hate or anger or rules fear. It's a message of love. And Jesus wants his followers to be known for love. In fact, look at this before we move on to the final one. So now I'm giving you, John's quoting Jesus, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Here's a new one. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. Read this with me, everybody. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How do you know you've met a real, real Christian? You'll know them by their love. Is everybody created by God? Yes. Is everybody loved by God? Yes. Is everyone a child of God? And the answer to that is no. No. Are you loved by God? Am I loved by God? Yes. It's automatic. I mean, you, I said it earlier. You can't do anything to make God love you any more, any less. Is everybody created by God? Yes. Can't do anything. We're already here. But becoming a child of God. It's really a choice that we've got to make, which leads me to the fourth and final benefit of following Jesus. I can be certain that I'm going to heaven. How terrible it would be to go through life not knowing whether or not you're going to heaven when you die. I can't imagine anything that would be worse. I, I read this uh, two or three years ago. Some of you may remember it. Some of you, that's a part of the church family. Because uh, I read it then, but I, I want to read it today. It's a unique little story. I think you may like it. It says, a woman dies. She goes to the gates of heaven, and she says, she asks St. Peter, how do I get into heaven? Peter says, all you have to do is just spell one word correctly. She said, that all? That's all I got to do, spell one word correctly? That's all you got to do, Simon Peter said. She said, all right, then what's the word? He says, love. She said, love, L-O-V-E. He says, yeah, great. Come on, come on, come on in. A few years later, St. Peter asked if, if she could watch the gate for a while, and she does. She's there for a few hours, and much to her surprise, while she's watching the gate, her husband shows up. 
Some of you are already ahead of me. And she asked him, how have you been? He says, well, actually, I've been doing quite well. You remember that beautiful young nurse that took care of you while you were sick? I married her. And then I won the lottery. And you know that little bitty house we lived in all those years? I sold it, went out and bought a great, big, beautiful house. In fact, my beautiful new wife and I were skiing in the Swiss Alps when I had this accident that brought me here. I'm glad I made it to heaven. How do I get in? She said, all you got to do is spell one word. He said, all right, go, go. She said, spell Czechoslovakia. Well, how many of you know you're not going to get into heaven? I won't get into heaven by spelling a word. And you and I don't get into heaven by being nice, although it's good to be nice, or being a good person is all right to be a good person, or being better than others. Because how many of you found like I found, no matter how bad you are, you can always find somebody worse than you? So I'm going to ask you, are you absolutely certain you're going to heaven? And how do you know? And if you don't know, how can you know? See, a lot of people have answers to this. Hey, how do you get to heaven? Well, you got to do this. You, this is the way you get to heaven. And it's like you can take this path or you can take that path or you can take that path. You know, there's seven ways. There's 10 ways. There's 300 ways. There's all these paths. Be a good person. Be a nice person. You know, bad stuff outweigh the, you know, good stuff outweigh the bad stuff. And that's how you get. No, no, no. Who do you go to for the answer as to how you get to heaven? You don't even go to your brother-in-law who has an answer for everything. You go to Jesus, and this is what Jesus said. Look, John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way. Not a way, not a way, not one of the ways. I am the way and the truth. Not a truth, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus wasn't being arrogant. He wasn't being prideful. He wasn't being braggadocious. Jesus was just telling the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Nobody gets into heaven except by me. God, by the name of Tim, Timothy Keller, has written this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? So where does this lead us? How do we get out from under our guilt, our shame, our regret? How do we lose our fear of dying? How can we know for certain that we're a child of God, not just loved by God, which all of us are, not just created by God, which all of us are, but a child of God because we've received grace? How can we be absolutely certain that we go to heaven when we die? And here, the Bible talks about this. The Bible lays it out. Romans, this is back to Paul, and this is what he tells us. And I want all of us to read this verse together because Jesus has the answer. And the scriptures tell us how we can be right with God. Read it with me, everybody. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, would you bow your heads? And this will only take a moment. I want you to repeat this prayer with me. I'm going to invite you to pray these words after, and I pray them in short phrases. And those of you that you're already a follower of Jesus, you're already a Christian, I want you to pray it out loud. It will help those who are praying it out loud. They don't want to do that by themselves. So all of us, I'll just pray a phrase, and then you pray it with me. And if you're not yet a Christian, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I invite you to pray this prayer and to mean it with all of your heart. Would you pray after me? Dear Jesus, everybody pray that. Dear Jesus, I believe that you proved that you are God by coming back to life on Easter. I know that you died for me. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I give my life completely to you. 
I want to be saved. I want to follow you for the rest of my life and to go to heaven when I die. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give Jesus a hand up of praise? You say, man, Jeff, come on. Dude, it can't be that simple. You know, one of the tragedies about Christianity is people make it a lot more complex than it is. Jesus came into this world to save sinners, just like you and me, rose from the dead. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. You don't have to fear dying. And some of you prayed that prayer, and you're like, can it really be that simple? It really is that simple if you meant it with all your heart. And I know how we are because we're emotional human beings. Some of you say, all right, all right, all right, time out. I didn't feel anything. Doesn't matter. It's not what you feel, but what is real. And if you prayed in your minute, Jesus came into your life. So that card I mentioned a moment ago, and we got to do this really, really quick. That card, go ahead and take it right back out. That card, hopefully by now you put your name on it. Flip it over on the back. It said, I made a decision today to commit my life to Christ or to renew my commitment to Christ. And you, you know, if you've never prayed the prayer like you just prayed, you've never followed Jesus, you've never committed your life to Christ, and you prayed that prayer with me for the very first time, check that box. And some of you, you'd want to check the other. To renew my commitment to Christ, you grew up in church, your mom, your dad took you to church, you got away from church, you got away from God, you weren't following Jesus, and you just renewed that relationship today. You could check that. And then skipping on down, it says water baptism. If you're going to be baptized, can you imagine? We've been here 13 years, and we've never done a water baptism. Next Sunday, right out in the parking lot, we're doing a water baptism for people that have prayed to receive Jesus today. And those of you that have been here for years and you've never been water baptized, we're doing it right out in the parking lot. You check that, and we'll send you some information about that. And then one other thing, hey, the book that we want to put in your hand if you pray to receive the, the Christ this morning. It's a great book, Grace from the Cross. Uh, there's a table. If you're facing the information table, right to the right of it, see one of our team members. Tell them you want the book, and they'll put it in your hands. In there is something about a class that we give to help you get started in the faith. It's called Starting Point. So I hope you'll do that. Hope all of you will be with us next Sunday as we start that series. Happy Easter to all of you. Would you stand for a brief closing prayer? Thank you for being here. Can we give Jesus one more big hand clap of praise? Can we do that? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us and to be resurrected from the dead so that we can have life now and life in heaven with you one day. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, happy Easter, everybody. I love you. See you right back here next Sunday.